As many of us are confined all around the world, we wanted to provide you with a daily podcast in partnership with Radio Halara, emitting from Palestine. Our ambition for it is not to add to the saturation of information about the pandemic we are currently experiencing, but rather to propose a 15-minute extension of our political imaginaries every day. The concept is very simple. Every day we ask one person the same question. What is for you a moment of true decolonization? The answer can be a historical moment or something they witnessed, something heroic and grandiose or rather discreet and mundane, a durable blow to the structures of colonialism or a short instant of liberation. While we are recording this podcast in privileged conditions of confinement, we keep in our thoughts the multitude of people around the world who do not share similar conditions or have no choice but to risk being affected by the pandemic because of criminal policies that have to do with neoliberalism, carceralism or colonialism. We thank you for listening and wish you and your loved ones the very best wherever you are. Hello everyone, today is the 26th episode of our, da our daily podcast, uh, A Moment of True Decolonization. We are reaching uh, the few last episodes of this series that I hope you have been enjoying. Uh, my guest is uh, Shaham Khosravi, who is a professor of anthropology at Stockholm University, the author of uh, several books, Uh, as well as an active writer in, in international press and uh, has also written fiction. He's uh, currently working on an art book on waiting and along with Mahmoud Kesharvas, who's, uh, who was on the Phenomenalist podcast uh, ooh, a few years ago, maybe six, six or seven years ago already. Um, so along with Mahmoud, he started uh, Critical Border Studies, a network for scholars, artists and activists to interact. Uh, hello, Sharam. Hi, Leopold. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for taking the time today to talk with me. And I, I believe you have something prepared for us today, don't you? And yes, I have prepared something to share with you today. These days, when I'm confined in my apartment in a suburb of Stockholm, I think about other times of confinement. One of them was 1986. I was 19 years old and I was in a small border prison along the border between three countries, Iran, Afghanistan and Pakistan. I spent some time there after being arrested when I was trying to cross the border illegally. In the prison, everybody I met had been arrested in connection with the border. During the time I was there, I met all kinds of transgressors, petty smugglers, big drug smugglers, undocumented migrant workers, refugees, and local native Baluchi tribesmen who for generations had crossed the border freely but were now being punished for violating the nation-state system. It was um, a small prison, and border transgressors were many, packed into dirty, overcrowded cells, 
Some nights we took turns sleeping, half sat up while the other half lay down. Sometimes I was put in small cells that I shared with others, Iranians, Afghanistanis, Pakistanis and Baluchis. Many languages were spoken at the same time. Many forms of being in the world were collected in a small space. But we all had something in common. We had refused to respect the border law. We refused to respect the existence of the border. We were, in Gloria Anzaldua's term, in a borderland where inhabitants of the borderland refused definitions of belonging, which were colonial definitions. That prison was the best school I ever had in border studies or any other studies related to what it means to be human today. During my time in prison, the connotations of labels such as dealer, smuggler, thief changed for me. Also terms like citizen, nationality, foreigner, illegal migrant, all lost their meanings. Meanings which were imposed on us by the states. When injustices and inequality become as pervasive as they are along this border and other borders, ethical assessments lose their weight. This is what I learned from Anzaldua, the Chicana scholar who framed it as a border thinking, to refuse belonging and to think from outside using other terms, other languages, other references, and to join an alternative perspective than the hegemonic one imposed on us by the Western modernity, in this context, the nation-state system. A system that demands belonging, a system that commands us to fit in, it means territorializations of body of bodies. It comes from a botanical way of thinking about human beings in terms of roots and from the uncritical link between individuals and places, between human beings and lands, between souls and soils. Everyone is supposed to be in place, homed, developed. This is Heideggerian way according to which being in the world is immanageable only in relation to a home, to a homeland. In his philosophical thinking and ideological preferences, being rooted in a place is a human tradition. In this view, one can be understood only in relation to a place. What I learned from that prison is to understand what people who are bordered need is not belonging but the right to participate. And here by border and bordering I mean being exposed to a broader meaning of bordering and borders. 
people who are bordered in racial, gendered, class way uh, are those who are deprived from the opportunities for participation. Of course, I mean a recognized participation that is to work in the formal labor market, to be able to vote, to talk back and so on. Um, in the border prison, I met many inspiring people. Among them, I was most interested in smugglers. The conversations with smugglers shaped my intellectual life and later on on my research field as a scholar, that is border studies. Uh, and in contrast to the dominant academic border studies, which is colored by seeing like a state, this approach, um, the prison taught me to see from outside. And in this era of border fetishism and under the shadow of rising um, walls, an urgent political question is, what do we see if we look at the border from the other side? The answer to this question requires a repositioning um, the articulation or re-articulation rather than the colonial practices of representation of borders and border transgression that dominate Western academia. This repositioning aims to build up new relations to knowledge, knowledges and concepts that are not otherwise articulated to knowledge production. Perhaps in line with what Ariella Azolai calls potential history, it is an attempt to liberate history from its confinement to the imperial past or to the past which is, um, has been written by the imperial um, center about the periphery and to the periphery. I have met many smugglers in different countries, but one of them was exceptional. His name is Amir Haydari. I use his real name because he wants so. Uh, moreover, he has talked openly about his work in the mass media. He is proud to have done what he did, namely helping thousands of people in need of refuge to cross borders. Amir probably told me long time ago when he was still working um, that he was uh, his own migration agency. I quote him, I work for those who are declined visas and passports. I work for anyone who has no passport and with pleasure help them go wherever they want. End of quote. Amir Haydari was perhaps the most known um, border crossing facilitator in the Middle East and Europe in the 1980s and in the 1990s. I met him first time in May 2004 in a prison in Sudan where he was serving um, a two year um, sentence for falsifying document. I met him for an interview. 
The Swedish authorities never let him go out, and after two years he was imprisoned again to serve a four-year sentence for human smuggling. Many other European states were also eager to punish him, British, German, and Danish. Um, after that, he was deported to somewhere. I don't want to reveal where. Um, for his security. Amir was um, different from all other so-called smugglers. Uh, he was and still is a genuine decolonial personality in practice and not in theory. Born in 1953 in Kurdistan, Amir uh, belonged to a minority which has been oppressed by many states in the region. Kurds are people crossed by several borders, some of them created by British and French colonizers. Amir grew up with border thinking, thinking from outside. The geography and history that formed his life as unfitted, accented outsider have left him without any option but to be politically engaged. The life he has lived has been a life of a minority in constant negotiation with the majority group and in constant confrontation with the states. As a young man, he joined a socialist movement and once during confrontation with the police, he was injured and was later on sent to Sweden for treatment for medical treatment. When he saw that Kurdish people were rejected by every country, he got upset. So he went back to Turkey to help. Thousands of Kurdish refugees were trapped in Turkey. He asked for help from the United Nations and from the embassies of Western countries. In vain, no one helped him or helped them. He realized that all those nice words on human rights from the West were empty words. He realized that no one would help the courts, so he started his own movement, as he puts it, to send people in need to safety. Over more than two decades, um, tens of thousands of asylum seekers reached Europe through the agency of his organization not only courts, but also other groups. He got a good reputation for honesty and professionalism. In 2004, in the prison in Sweden, I asked him why there was a market for human smuggling. He explained it much better than any professor in migration studies. I quote him. It is simple. The rich world steal from the poor world. When people have tried to make a change in politics and change the ruling regimes, the superpowers uh, have intervened and stopped the democratic movements. In Chile, Allende was murdered, and in Iran, Mossadegh was overthrown by the CIA. This is our situation. As long as there are plunderers and plundered ones, um, one to come and see where their money and wealth has ended up, and I helped them.
the end of quote. And he explained why he chose to be a border transgression facilitator this way. I am an existentialist. I mean Jean-Paul Sartre's philosophy. I believe individuals have free choice and by that responsibility. I believe that everyone should be able to do something with their lives. I am my own migration board. I work for those who are declined visas and passports. Um, and with pleasure I help them to go wherever they want. You see birds and animals go everywhere they want. They do not have passports, so why should human beings? My thesis is to make the world more international. When the economy is globalized, it is foolish for human beings not to be globalized as well. We should help people get citizenship in other countries. And after a second, he added, we need a revolution. Long before any other solidarity movement and before online information sites we see today, Amir made a booklet called Guidelines for Asylum Seeking, uh, Guidelines for Asylum Seeking, printed in thousands of copies and distributed freely to asylum seekers. In the booklet, Amir gave basic information about asylum processes. The booklet gave guidelines to what to say to the police and immigration officers in different countries in Europe and on how to make a, a case, a good case. The, the booklet is also a simple manual on how to behave in airport when trying to, to, to cross the border uh, without paper and without documents. He spent more than 10 years in prisons in different countries and was deported several of times. But he said, I quote him, I don't mind if you believe in what you do is right, like Socrates. He paid a high price for his belief. Do you remember how the Canadian embassy forged passports for the staff of American embassy and saved them from the Iranian revolutionary forces in 1980s? They are heroes, but I'm criminal. In fact, I don't smuggle people. I take them to the border where they can seek asylum. When they have sought asylum, a refugee lawyer take care of their cases. Why is my job a crime, but not the lawyers, we both do the same thing. It is more than a decade he has stopped his operations. A few years ago he escaped and come back to Europe. I met him again and he again non-stopping talked about injustices in the world. However, he was deported again and now he lives somewhere in the mountains in the land of Kurdistan. When we talked, we shift between many languages. He is um, well informed about international laws and declarations. He has lived with so many borders that he knows them better than those who guard the borders. Nowadays, he gives um, free advices and consultations to those who want to migrate. As he put it, there are more work to do now than any time before. 
His words recall what I learned in the border prison 1986. Border thinking, thinking and acting from outside. A different articulation and practices, not only coming from books, but rather from everyday life, from daily practices of people who are exposed to various forms of borders and borderings. I called Amir the other day to check how he is doing during the coronavirus crisis. Approaching the age of 70, his answer was concise yet powerful and encouraging. He said, the world has gone crazy. We need a revolution. Thank you so much, Arams. It was really powerful and... Uh, uh a fantastic addition to the to the series. Uh, I really appreciate you preparing that for us. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. That's all for today. Find us tomorrow again for a new episode as part of this daily podcast series. And if you're a subscriber to The Phenomenalist, remember that you have access to every single article we published in the past in their online version on our website. Thank you very much and take care.